This country started a war. The enemy, illegal drugs. And the war is still going on. For ourselves and for future generations, a new world order. The Zika virus, now more than 30 cases detected here in the U.S. Flint, Michigan, and how its drinking water ended up contaminated with toxic amounts of lead. Everything's a lie. It's all a big lie. What's up, everybody? My name is Tanner, and welcome to 1980 Now, a podcast for truth seekers and free thinkers. I hope you've all had a fantastic week, and as always, thank you for being here with me today. Of course, I have to say that if you enjoy this podcast and if it brings value to your life, do me a favor and hit that subscribe button. And feel free to follow me on Instagram at 1980NowPodcast to see interesting pictures, clips, and life updates about the show. Another way that you can support me is by leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Five-star reviews help the show analytically and with the algorithm so that I get recognized by more potential listeners. Today's episode is going to be a little bit different. Usually I script these episodes, these solo episodes out. Um, I just, I do a lot better when I'm able to write down my thoughts in a way that I can articulate them. And um, I don't know, I just do a lot better that way. However, I procrastinated with this episode, so this one is going to be a little bit more off the cuff. However, I promise it's going to be interesting, it's going to be fun, and um, uh, you guys aren't going to lose out on anything. And who knows, you might actually prefer it this way. So I'm going to give it a shot, and hopefully uh, hopefully it turns out good. But I think it will, because I have a, a fascinating topic today. First of all, happy October, everybody. Um, I hope your fall has been off to a great start. I think this fall is going to be an interesting one because, um, <clears throat> of course, we have the upcoming election in November, and that's going to be just insane. But also, we have scheduled a, uh, not well, not scheduled, but there's a, supposedly going to be a blue moon, a full blue moon, on Halloween night this year. And it'll be the first time since World War II. And I don't know, it just, it, it's curious. It makes you wonder, does it signify something, especially with everything that has been going on? And we know that the luminaries in the sky are there for signs and seasons. And so it just makes you wonder... Um, you know, it was J.P. Morgan that said, millionaires don't use astrology, but billionaires do. And I think there's something to it, the stuff that goes on in the sky. I don't know. You know, the Bible talks about in the book of Revelation and the, the end times and the, you know, the moon is going to turn red like blood and all this kind of stuff. It just makes you wonder. Uh, yeah, so uh, like I said, for this episode... I'm going to be doing it a little bit differently. It's going to be off the cuff. I have some notes, but just to help me keep on track. But ultimately, it's it's open-ended, and I think you guys are going to have... It's This is going to leave you with some questions that you're going to want answered, but just I want you to know that this is going to be kind of like a part one to maybe even a series. So 
don't be discouraged at the end of this episode if you're like, wait, you can't just end it there because I'm going to delve into this topic or these topics again in the future. But I'm also going to give you resources so that you can look into this stuff on your own and form your own thoughts and opinions on it. So um, on that note, with the absolute clown show of a presidential debate that we had this week... (laughs) And uh, with all of the political tensions rising in our country, um, I thought we could maybe take a break from the usual COVID stuff that I talk about, and let's talk about government and voting and all that jazz. Um, what did you guys, th- did anyone watch the debate? DM me on Instagram and let me know what you thought. I thought it was, you know, I didn't watch all of it, but I watched enough um, to know that it was just an absolute clown show, you know, it's just, it's like reality TV, it's crazy that it's real, but that is, um, that's the reality that we live in, but, you know, something that it got me thinking about was that growing up in America, we are only ever given two options, right, you're either a Republican or a Democrat, and usually it's based in cultural reasons, most people kind of see their political party that they're attached to as a sports team almost you know um most people that i know because they grew up in texas they are a fan of the cowboys and it seems to be the same way with being a republican you know most people especially in small towns in texas and in you know the more conservative parts of texas people tend to be Republicans. They tend to lean right. And of course, Texas is a red state. Of course, there's areas of Texas where that's not as much the case. But then, of course, you have states that are blue states where people typically vote Democrat. And it has a lot to do with their, again, their culture and um, groupthink. But I think that it's a false dichotomy. I think... um, You don't have to belong to any party. You don't have to participate in the system, and you don't have to vote, right? Because something that you'll hear be thrown around these days, especially on social social media, is that, well, yes, presidents are typically evil, and and the government is evil, but... um, This is the current system that we have, and we have to vote for the lesser of the two evils. But, of course, the lesser of the two evils is still evil. Now, I'm not saying that Donald Trump is evil or even that Joe Biden is, although I think, you know, they both have their ties to, to the beast system. Um, But what I am saying, again, is that you don't have to belong to any party. Those are just the options that we've been given. And of course, there's li- the Libertarian Party and what the Green Party and the Tea Party and different, uh, of course, parties that political parties that are not taken seriously at all. I mean, just Libertarian being the probably or or the Independent Party being the the biggest third party. Uh, it's just, it's still a joke, you know? I mean, it really is. Um, it's just a joke. It's always going to be, and I shouldn't speak in absolutes, but uh, just with the way that groupthink works and the way that culture works, it seems like it's always going to be Republican and Democrat, and people just don't 
really think or do their research. They just, again, they're born into a culture and they accept the reality that is presented to them. And a lot of it comes down to what's called the Hegelian dialectic. The Hegelian dialectic is where the ruling elite create a problem, anticipating in advance the reaction of the population to the crisis, and thus conditioning the people to call for change. And see, we think that we can change, we can, we can call for change, and we can use our vote to create change. Um, when the population is properly conditioned, the desired agenda of the ruling elite is presented as the solution. Right? That's in the Hegelian dialectic. The solution they present is not intended to solve the problem, but to serve as the basis for a new problem or exacerbate the existing one. When the newly created problem reaches boiling point, it becomes the foundation for the people to clamber for, clamor for change. This process is repeated over and over, all the time moving society towards whatever end point they have in mind. Problem reaction, solution. Okay, that's the Hegelian dialectic, and that's what we participate in whenever we, whenever we vote, whenever we attach ourselves to a political party. Um, but first, before we get into all of that stuff, let's talk about government, okay? Government, when you break down the word, literally means mind control. Govern means to rule, and ment means mind, like mental, right? Government, to rule the mind. And um, people just need, we need to be conscious of that. You know, again, the the elite and the beast system, um, you know, for lack of a better terms, they hide these things in plain sight. They tell us that government is mind control, right? So... When, when we break it down, that's what government actually is. Well, not only that, but uh, a 12-year-old girl in, uh, you know, around 10 years ago discovered that all but one U.S. president are directly related to each other. And I'm going to read a little bit from this article. Uh, in 2009, a 12-year-old girl stumbled onto an incredible genealogical connection. And this is from Elite Daily, by the way. Every American president but Martin Van Buren shares a common ancestor. This girl, her name is Brijan, uh, D- I can't, can't pronounce her last name, sorry. Uh, then a seventh grader from Salinas, California, began studying ancestral lineage as part of a summer project inspired by her grandfather's 60-year-long dedication to studying presidential genealogy. With plenty of help from the 80-year-old man, Bridgan learned the process of tracing ancestry on her own line. Once comfortable searching through countless records and certificates, the young girl started looking into the background of several presidents. Soon she noticed an odd coincidence. Each president seemed to be related to John Lackland Plantagenet, perhaps best known as Robin Hood's enemy, King John. The... Uh, Prodigious Royal even signed the Magna Carta in 1215. It took an estimated 500,000 documents and many months of arduous work, but Brijan had finally solved a historical mystery. Isn't that funny how they present it as just some kind of mystery, like national treasure? 
Although genealogists have previously genetically linked 22 of the presidents, they hadn't been able to find a common ancestor for the majority of the men. Bridge Ann published her results in an infographic titled We Are All Related, which is still for sale five years later. In fact, the chart even made it onto the Library of Congress's exhibit on the Magna Carta earlier this year. And then um, there's a little bit more uh, to the article, but, you know, it's just so interesting um, whenever you, again, you break this whole system down. <clears throat> Not only are almost all of the presidents related to, you know, to royalty in a way, um, but the founding fathers were occultists as well as just about every president that we've ever had. Well, I shouldn't say occultist, but just about every president that we've ever had has had some connection to the Freemasons or some kind of secret society, whether it be, you know, Skull and Bones at Yale. You know, George Bush was a part of that secret society. And um, uh, Ben Franklin, who was not a president, but he was one of the founding fathers, um, he was part of a club called the Hellfire Club, and they were an occultist, satanic group. Uh, you don't learn about that in school, you know? I mean, it's 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 one of um, American history's best-kept secrets, but it's true. The majority of the Founding Fathers were not Christians, and it's interesting because we're taught that a, that America was founded as a Christian nation, but whenever, whenever our, the Founding Fathers talk about God, it could be any god right it's not necessarily the god of the bible um so whenever you look at whenever you look at everything objectively and from afar whenever you look at the bigger picture it becomes clear that voting is rigged okay uh government is corrupt government is rigged i mean it to me it's blatantly obvious especially when you look at so much of the um, symbology in Washington, D.C. with the obelisk and, uh, you know, the statue of George Washington in like a Baphomet-type pose and then some of the artwork on the inside of the White House and the dome, of course. you got to have a dome. And then also all of Washington, D.C., or at least around the White House, I should say, uh, it's laid out, the streets, all of it is laid out like a giant owl. And of course, the owl is an occult symbol. I believe it represents Moloch and that all-seeing eye, right? Because the owl has those piercing, all-seeing eyes. And so, anyway, that's a, a, another rabbit hole that we'll eventually go down. I'm going to do an episode about the Founding Fathers and all of the occultist ideas and beliefs that they were into but and, and of course all of that kind of stuff doesn't necessarily mean that voting is rigged but I think that it makes it clear that there is a an, an agenda a darker agenda behind the founding of our nation and behind the system that we have the structure of our government, of our society, of our culture, it has dark origins that we don't learn about. So again, it doesn't necessarily mean that voting is rigged, but I just think it's very clear that 
how how can you be an awake and an enlightened individual and still trust in this stuff? You know, a lot of it is very demonic. A lot of it is based in Satanism. And again, we'll we'll go down that rabbit hole on another episode, but I'm just trying to lay the foundation of all this out for you guys. Um so you know, ultimately that's why in my opinion, it's silly to vote. It's silly to participate in this system when we know that all these presidents are related in some way they all go back to you know royalty it becomes very clear to me that presidents are selected and not elected i mean forget all of the occult stuff and just think about it logically for a second the united states is controlled by a small number of massive corporations and, of course, banks owned by families with elite bloodlines like the Rothschilds and the Rockefellers. Those corporations and banks are what pull the strings in our country. They're what control everything. They have the money. It's just the way that it works. So do you really think that they're going to let the likes of you, a peasant, and me, of course, Use your vote to influence their interests. I mean, come on. It's just not logical. Why? It would be like um, the school board, okay, letting kindergarten kids come in to a, a school board meeting and decide, you know, what direction the school district is going to go in, is going to go in, right? The, the little, to, to the, to the school board, the Kindergarten kids, or it would just be a joke, right? They wouldn't take them seriously. Well, that's exactly how the corporations and the banks look at us, right? They're not going to let our vote put, potentially put someone in office who could not have their best interest in mind, not have their best interest in heart. I mean, it's just... To me, it's so blatantly obvious, guys. Money talks. Money is what controls everything. Everything comes down to money, okay? I mean, you just have to, you have to see it. Um, <clears throat> sorry, kind of lost track there. So what I want to do next is a little thought experiment. Let's live in a fantasy world for a second and imagine that government isn't actually corrupt, okay, and that voting isn't rigged, okay? Well, first of all, the idea of democracy alone, which in its most basic form means majority rules, is immoral. Democracy is immoral because democracy gives government the power to force the values and the beliefs of the majority of a country on the rest of the people. Think about it. In a democracy, if 51% of a country voted that slavery should be legal and 49% voted against it, it still wouldn't be moral, right? It wouldn't matter that the 51% won the vote because slavery is inherently evil. It's immoral. And again, it's that appeal to majority fallacy that I talked about in that bonus episode. If you haven't listened to it, check it out. Now, the U.S. isn't really a democracy. It was allegedly set up as a republic, of course. 
But it doesn't matter what you want to call it because government by design is immoral. Just, just by design, regardless of what you call it. A lot of people look at government like a morally neutral institution. But again, it's not. You know, people will say that, oh, government is just a tool. They're, they're, gov- the people, the, the bureaucrats, the people that make up the government are uh, public servants. But that's just simply not the case. By definition, government is immoral because it can only exist by way of violent coercion. Tax dollars is what funds the government. So think about it. Just try not paying your taxes. After some warnings, eventually the police will come and kidnap you and put you in a cage, which is prison. It's called tax evasion, right? And if you resist, they'll kill you. It's a violent system that relies on fear and violence to get you to fall in line. Again, it's that violent coercion, comply or die. And that's how the government operates. Anything that the gov- anything that the state wants you to do, you're going to do it on the threat of violence. Anything. Because imagine just not doing it. Not consenting. Well, then someone's going to eventually come to your door, kidnap you, or do whatever it takes to uh, make you regret it, right? <clears throat> to make an example out of you. That's just how it works. So the system alone, it is based in violence, which makes it inherently immoral. Um, now you might be thinking, why wouldn't you just pay your taxes, right? Well, again, taxation is another immoral aspect of the government. Because taxation is literally theft. It's not just some catchy slogan that, you know, libertarians say. It's, it's, it's literally true. Taxation is theft. The government takes your hard-earned money and puts it towards whatever they want to, which includes foreign wars. And so, like, example for me as a Christian, first of all, um, because government is... It, operates using violence and I, and I don't as, as a Christian I can't or I don't want to participate in violence and I have to reject evil systems but also my tax dollars get put towards wars and bombs and guns that kill people according to a congressional budget uh, sorry the Congress, congressional budget office Report published on October 2007, the U.S. wars in Iraq and Afghanistan could cost taxpayers a total of $2.4 trillion by 2017, including interest. And of course, that's an old article, or past 2017. But imagine what it's at now, right? So, as a Christian, I'm opposed to war. I don't want my money funding violence in the name of country, which, if you think about it, Country is is an idol, right? A nation, flags, um, pledging your allegiance, all of that in a way. And I know I'm gonna sound super unpatriotic, but I'm just being. I'm trying to be consistent and intellectually honest. In a way, that is idolatry. 
And of course, and I forgot to mention, think about the drone strikes all the time, right? That, you know, Barack Obama alone issued plenty of drone strikes that killed who knows how many innocent people because, I mean, they have, they're attacking these targeted areas and people are going to get caught up in the mix and die. So, again, in my opinion, it is immoral for my money to be used, my hard-earned money to be used to go towards foreign wars and, and guns and bombs and things that kill people, or that are used to kill people, I should say. The only way that taxes could ever be considered moral is if they were voluntary. Because your money should be able to go to the institutions, to the charities, and the programs that you see fit. Um, there's a guy named Murray Rothbard who I you know, definitely recommend you, you read some of his work. He was a uh, kind of like one of the first really famous... Well, I shouldn't say that, but he was definitely one of the first famous American um, libertarians. He said, Taxation is theft purely and simply, even though it is theft on a grand and colossal scale, which no acknowledged criminals could hope to match. It is a compulsory seizure of the property of the state's inhabitants or subjects. It's a great quote, you know. I mean, it's just true. It's one of those things that's just true. Just the government is allowed to take people's money because the government has the power and the force to do that. They can use that violent coercion against you. That's why you're going to pay your taxes, because you don't want to go to jail. You don't want to go to prison. So, again, when it comes to government, when it comes to this system, you also have the issue of unjust criminal laws. The majority of criminal laws in the U.S. are for victimless crimes, like, for example, drug use or prostitution. And obviously, I don't condone either of those. But if you are the owner of yourself, not the state, then you should be allowed to do whatever you want to do with your body. The statistics are staggering. I mean, 86% of U.S. prisoners are in prison because of victimless crimes um and we're talking about having you know a certain amount of pot on them and getting caught with it and then going to prison not only have we taken a lot of fathers out of the home but they're also again in prison for a victimless crime they chose to smoke pot or whatever that whatever drug they got caught with and it you know it was their body so they shouldn't be there in the first place. But then again, so many tax dollars go to housing these people in the prisons, right? So many resources go to that, and that money could be used in so many other ways. So there are plenty of other problems with government, right? I mean, we could talk all day. This podcast could be hours and hours long. We could talk about all of the the foreign wars that we should not have been involved in. We can talk about the prison system and, oh man, immigration and bogus laws. All kinds of things, right? I mean, scandals in the government. 
um, you know, the these conspiracies to hide the shape of the earth or, you know, aggress against the people. I mean, there's just so many different routes that we could go. But obviously we have to talk about a solution because it wouldn't be right for me to just sit here and complain about all the problems with the system and not present a solution to you guys. So, you know, the system is is corrupt and it's failing and I think that the only logical conclusion and this is again, this is my opinion. This is at, based on uh, a couple of years of research and, and soul searching and really thinking about it. I think that the only logical conclusion to all of this madness is anarchism, particularly anarcho capitalism. Now, I'm sure that the first thing that came to your mind when I said anarchy is chaos and violence. Because in our society and in our culture, the media, and even not people just in the media, but I'm talking YouTubers, and, but also movies and books, well, they have made the word anarchy synonymous with chaos and violence and disorder. Not too long ago, I saw a, a short a couple of news clips that, you know, the reporters were at these protests and riots and stuff that were going on. And, you know, Molotov cocktails were being thrown and windows busted and businesses burned and all this kind of stuff. And the reporters kept referring to these people as anarchists. But they're not anarchists. That is not anarchy. And I'm going to explain why that is antithetical to anarchy in just a second. But also Antifa has been referred to as anarchists, but Antifa, I believe, is a democratic and socialist-founded organization. And some people will say that they're, you know, they're not a centralized organization, that Antifa is more of an idea, whatever. They're funded by George Soros, so I, you know, they, they have funding. Uh, that being said, we have also been programmed, and this is super interesting to me, We've been programmed by movies like The Purge, which I, I love that movie. It's a great series, but we've been programmed to, le to believe that without laws or government, humans are by nature thieves, murderers, rapists, and in need of some kind of human authority figure to keep us in line, right? Without laws, you, you remove all laws for one night and people just murder and steal and you know loot and, and and burn and riot and all that kind of stuff but i just think that's demonstrably not true the average person has no ha, has no desire to commit those kinds of crimes or to aggress against people in that way to commit violence or to rape the average person doesn't need a law to tell them not to do that. And I think that's just demonstrably true. You can just look around you. Look at your friends and family, right? I don't need a law to tell me that murder is wrong. Of course, I have the law of God that tells me that, but it's also a truth that's written in my heart, and it's also just, it's a natural law, right? Same with theft, rape, and any other action that would aggress against another person without their consent. 
And again, most people are the same way. I don't know anybody that needs laws to tell them not to do those things. You know, our parents teach us those things. Our churches teach us those things. We grow up just with that natural human compassion. It's just, it's something that's innate. We just innately know that it's wrong to commit violence or any any act of indecency against a person that, you know, of course, without their consent. We know that that's wrong to do. It's just something that is, again, it's written on our hearts. It's within us. People ultimately just want to work and live their lives and take care of their families. And and think about it. Laws as it is don't stop crimes from being committed, really. I mean, crimes happen all the time, right? Murders happen. Uh, robberies happen. Carjackings happen all the time. Rapes happen. Child molestation happens. Yeah, the law is there so that if those people get caught, they can be reprimanded. But half the time, the justice system, more than half the time, I'm sure, the justice system doesn't even handle those problems correctly. Why? I mean, because, again, it's a corrupt, failing system in the first place. Thousands and thousands of people of people have been falsely imprisoned Right, I mean, this stuff happens all the time. The justice system fails all the time. So the what we currently have isn't even doing a good job. It's not doing right by the people. So, um, again, to go back to to my original point about anarchy, I want to reiterate that anarchy is not about chaos or disorder. I think that. I think that ultimately anarchy is biblical because it just means, the word anarchy just means without rulers. That's all it means. And I think that God intended for us to have a horizontal relationship with other humans and have a vertical relationship with him. God is our ruler. And that's why um, there is a growing Christian anarchist movement right now, and the kind of the slogan, the unofficial slogan of that movement is "No King but Christ." Right? It it doesn't make sense as a Christian to obey the laws or the rules of anyone other than Jesus if you're a Christian. You know, other other than the law of God. The we live by the Ten Commandments. That is our law. Uh, we live by scripture. We don't need the laws of man to govern ourselves, right? We we honor God. We follow Jesus. So that being said, <clears throat> anarchy is based on a founding principle called the non-aggression principle. Okay, and if you if you start looking into anarchy and anarcho-capitalism, you'll see this term a lot. Uh, it's often referred to as the NAP, the NAP. <clears throat> and so kind of the uh, an explanation of it is the NAP is a moral stance which asserts that aggression is inherently illegitimate, no matter if the result of those actions is damaging, beneficial, or neutral to the owner, when they are against the owner's free will and interfere with his right to self-determination or the principle of self-ownership. In contrast to pacifism, the non-aggression principle does not preclude violence used in self-defense or defense of others. So, basically, the non-aggression principle is just saying that 
you as a human don't have the right to initiate violence against another human. You can only use aggression or violence for self-defense or to stop a greater aggression or violence. Um, Leo Tolstoy, who was kind of a, a famous Christian anarchist, one of the first to really, um, you know, to really start writing about these ideas and bringing them to light. He said, even if the absence of government really did mean anarchy in a negative, disorderly sense, which is far from being the case, even then, no anarchical disorder could be worse than the position to which government has led humanity. And I think that's so on point. And, you know, he said that in like the early 1900s or the late 1800s. So think about how far we've come now, all of this uh, hatred and division and violence and conspiracy and, and all these crimes against humanity. I think it's worth a shot. I think it's worth trying something different. And like I said, whenever you think about how the non-aggression principle is, is like the, the foundation of anarchism and of anarcho-capitalism, it becomes very clear that these rioters and looters and Antifa who are throwing Molotov cocktails at things and, and you know, beating people up, the, those groups are antithetical to anarchy because, again, anarchy is founded on the NAP. You do not have the right to aggress against another person. You are not allowed to initiate violence. And that Again, that goes for theft and any other crime against a person that is not a victimless crime. Like, again, to expand on the victimless crime thing, doing uh, an illicit drug, a hard drug, although I don't agree with it and I think it's unhealthy and I would never do it myself and I don't want other people to do it, it's a victimless crime because you're not hurting anyone else. If you want to drink yourself till you're blackout drunk, Again, that's an, and that's well. I guess that's not a crime. That's not a good analogy. But let's say you're doing some kind of illegal drug that could inhibit your ability to drive. Well, as soon as you get in the car and get on the roads and hurt someone, well, now it's not a victimless crime anymore, right? Because now you have you have aggressed against someone and you've uh, committed violence against them. So. Again, anarchy just means without rulers. It does not mean chaos or disorder. So whenever you think about it, is that idea really so controversial? I mean, should it be so controversial? People just roll their eyes and they just can't believe that an anarchist society would ever work. And I'm not going to lie. I'm going to be honest. I don't think that it will ever happen. But that's not really the point. I believe that anarchy is the only moral system and the only logical conclusion to government and to freedom and to liberty. So even though I don't think that we will ever have an anarchist society... It doesn't really matter because it's the moral stance that I want to have. Let me give you an example. Let's say we lived, uh, let's say in a different dimension, slavery was never abolished, okay? Let's say that slavery in America still existed, 
And let's say that it didn't look like there was ever going to be an end in sight for slavery. And let's say that everyone in, in the culture and in the society said slavery is never going to end. We're always going to have slavery. And let's say that it seemed very obvious that it was never going to come to an end. Wouldn't it still be best, though, to have the moral stance and the moral belief, the moral posturing that slavery is wrong? I mean, just because it looked like there was never going to be an end in sight, it wouldn't suddenly make it okay. It wouldn't in any way make it moral. So that's kind of what I'm getting at. And the reason that I kind of want to wrap it up on that point is because we don't know what an anarchist society would really look at or look like. You know, we don't really have any examples throughout history of straight up anarcho capitalist societies. And there's a lot of questions that, you know, that can be raised by this discussion. Um, usually the first thing that people will ask is so, how would an anarcho capitalist society work? And I am planning again on doing, like I said, a part two and maybe even a part three and kind of turning this into a series because I'm I'm super interested in this topic. And by no means did I mean for this episode to be an exhaustive, you know, complete, in-depth, you know, understanding of anarchism or anarcho-capitalism. But... You know, obviously, you're going to have, after listening to this, if you're in any way interested, you're going to have questions. And some of those questions are going to be like, how would crime and punishment work? How, who would build roads? How would the society and system work without being reduced to some kind of primitive civilization? Guys, I promise you, there is a rebuttal and an answer for just about every question that you might have. Like, a lot of it is actually really simple. For example, you just privatize things and then people and companies have incentive to do certain things. Like, let me give you an example. Let's say there's a couple of supermarkets and they're a few miles apart. Well, let's say you own one of them. You own one of those supermarkets, but there isn't a road that goes to your supermarket. There's just a really big field. But a couple of miles further, and there's another supermarket where there is a road that goes to the supermarket. Well, that would be an incentive for you as the owner of that market, of that store, to build a road that goes to your store because that's how you're going to get business. If you want to get business, you, you would have, again, you'd have that incentive So that's a very basic idea of how privatizing things would work, but I think that makes perfectly logical sense. And again, you know, there's an answer to, I promise you, if you really look into this, there's a logical, reasonable answer to every single question that you might have, but especially in an anarcho-capitalist society, Again, everything would be privatized. We're talking school. We are talking um, law enforcement even. Um, Private security is something that is, it's a growing industry right now and has been proven to be half as expensive as 
the public police that we have and two and a half times more effective. So um, basically the way that it works is neighborhoods and communities and apartment complexes, landlords would have incentive to hire these uh, private security teams. Um, you know, neighborhood uh, people that own neighborhoods um, would have the uh, the incentive to hire these private security forces, but people individuals could hire them too. And basically, you wouldn't really need public police officers in that system. And again, if we're talking about an anarchist society, because the next thing that you're probably wondering is, okay, where's the money to pay for that going to come from? Well, you won't have the government robbing you of your hard-earned money your, sorry your hard-earned money through taxation so uh, there would there's just so much to it that i'm gonna try and bring someone on i have someone in mind that is super knowledgeable on all this stuff and um, i don't know if it's gonna be the episode following this one it probably won't but i do want to have them on soon and i'm excited about it so i hope that this didn't leave you frustrated i hope this didn't leave you um you know like what the heck how is he just gonna drop this bomb on me and not 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 give me all the answers well what you can do is you can go on youtube if you're interested or you can wait for you know the next the next part of this series that i'm i'm gonna do uh, but if you don't if you don't want to wait, you can go on YouTube and check out a YouTuber named Shane Killian. He has a playlist. He has a like several videos where he talks about anarcho capitalism. Well, a lot, but um, one in particular is anarcho capitalism for dummies, and then another one is like a brief introduction to anarcho capitalism. And man, he really does answer just about every question that you might have and he debunks just about every you know every potential problem that you could foresee with anarcho-capitalism and anarchism in general and then there's also a guy named david friedman who is the son of milton friedman and um he's just got some really good lectures and presentations about crime and punishment in an anarchist society and how privatizing things would work and um he's he's super intelligent super knowledgeable and then of course uh there's murray rothbard there's you, you can check out his works and texts there's leo tolstoy um the list goes on and on but those are just a few people to check out just a few resources for you um so yeah i hope uh i hope you guys enjoy that episode very very off the cuff um but that's what I get for procrastinating. I hope you enjoyed it anyway. So, cool. I'll see you guys next time. All right, listeners. If you made it this far, thank you so much for sticking with me. If you liked what you heard, be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and follow me on Instagram at 1980nowpodcast. That's 1980 underscore podcast. And if you really, really like the podcast, you can support me by leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, and maybe I'll read it on the show. As usual, another really cool episode will be dropping a week from now, so be sure to stay tuned. All right, guys, y'all already know. 
I'll see you next time. Stay free.